welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show, too, on Mark Farner. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Sean. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> I'm glad you're back. I had, a, I had a great, great response when you were on. I had a good time when you were on, and obviously I'm a big fan of yours. So I got a lot of people that were asking questions, some older fans, some new fans. So I thought we'd hit some of those. Maybe even if you've history's out there, you can maybe clarify or answer these fans directly, you know, in the questions. And then we're yeah. going to end and talk about some of the songs you've done recently. And then you're on tour and direct yeah. people back to the website, the dates and some really cool merch you got out there. Yeah, um, but one of, the, one of the really good things we got, uh, one of the first things that the fans were asking is when you came out, your music, because you guys came out, you guys were kind of funky and bluesy and this real good jam band. But you guys also had a, like a like a 1950s, 60s harmonies going on. Was there a certain influence that kind of brought that into you there? Well, it was all the radio that we listened to, Sean. It was, you know, CKLW out of Windsor, Ontario, a big uh, radio station that came booming into Flint, Michigan. We had WTAC, WTRX, WAMM. And, and uh, back then, it was all AM, all yep. AM radio, amplitude, modulation. And uh, FM hadn't even been thought of when we were listening to all this music. And... Motown being right down the street in Detroit, yep. coming out with all of the, you know, miracles and the temptations and the four tops and Aretha and come on, uh, you know, little Eva, the locomotion, all these dance tunes. And my sister, Diane, and I used to go to these hops that the DJs would put on and we'd enter into these dance contests. And we won a lot of them because her and I <laughs> danced together you know, as partners, we knew what to do because we were doing it all the time. After my mother showed us how to dance, God rest her soul, uh, she, you know, influenced us and got us over the hump, so to speak, as far as being uh, shy or being self-conscious about going out on the dance floor. Because once you're out there, it's like every other eyes in the room yes. is surrounding you are watching you. And and I got to where I was digging it because I was one of the only guys on the dance floor. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, if you go to a bar and they got a dance floor, uh, the guys that are out on the dance floor are the lucky guys. They're, they get to, you know, with all these ladies, they're out there, they're motivated, they watch, they move, they're encouraged to do this by watching that. And and there's some interaction and, and then all these other guys that wish they could go out there. They really could. Only thing holding them back is their pride. <laughs> you know, they don't want to look like a klutz. Well, I guarantee you, if, if the guy would just take the plunge and go out there and watch and just move, let himself be natural. The women would welcome that to the dance floor. I've talked to him about this. Trust me. <laughs> And, and and life would be better. This was what influenced us, this kind of music. It influenced Grand Funk. Uh, you know, I wrote 92% of the music. So in the early years, um, that's all I had on my mind. That, you know, and we played uh, the Yardbirds and the Beatles and Rolling Stones, all of these songs. When we would go do the Battle of the Bands, mm -hmm. that was before I was writing music. I was doing that, that kind of stuff. But it had to be something you could dance to or, you know, something that moved me in order to be in the set. It was just clearly, I mean, because the harmonies 
were very beautiful. And they harken back to the previous decade of really good songwriting, obviously. But then you guys also had your own sound on top of it. Like you incorporated your own styles into it with the, with whether it be the bass or the guitar and the bass and guitar and the vocals together was kind of fresh. What you guys do. A lot of the bands are doing their own fresh versions. Humble Pie, all you guys are doing stuff around that time. Same vein, but it was all a little different, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And and Humble Pie opened for us when we did a Euro European tour in uh, early uh, 70s there. I think it even might have been 1970. But uh, they listened to, on the boombox in their dressing room, they listen to all this Motown music, yep. dude. All of this uh, R and B, rhythm and blues, and and stuff danceable. And I'm thinking those guys are all right. And uh, then when I met, uh, you know, Stevie Marriott and uh, the rest of the band, then we'd go after the gig. We'd go to, out to a pub someplace, and Marriott and I would sit across the table from each other, and he would just start singing, and it's like, and I mean. He belted it out, dude. I mean, there was some sound pressure level behind <laughs> his notes. And I'm sitting across from him, and I'd get inspired, and I just, hey, you know, it's like, okay, man, then we got people coming over to hear us, standing around us, going, yeah, and they're egging us on. It's, you know, there's something about the human voice and the, and the happiness that can abide there if you got it in your heart to start with. And, and that's what your intention is. Mm -hmm. uh, as you, as you mentioned it, humble pie had it, you know what I mean? They, because they had that R and B influence, uh, the same as grand funk had the mm -hmm. R and B and that soulful. We used to set up and listen to John R way down South in Dixie on the Royal crown hairdressing show, WLAC Nashville Tennessee it would come in after 11 o'clock at night and my buddy Curtis his grandma had this radio that was huge radio with this big speaker it was an AM radio made out of wood the whole thing like was a piece of furniture and uh, he'd tune that thing okay here it is here he comes and then you'd hear uh, John R <laughs> you know you, you unmistakable voice and then we'd sit there listen to music and eat the uh, horseradish and mayonnaise on on white bread, fold it over like that, and and eat that that sandwich. We'd finish yeah. a we would finish a loaf of bread, brother. <laughs> Listen, oh, that is awful. Oh yeah. Oh and, my god. Oh, it, was a, a, it was a gas. It was a real gas. <laughs> you add me to the horseradish and mayonnaise. Oh god, that's some rough stuff, man. Oh, oh yeah. But you you but. And I'm assuming, and this plays into some of the other questions. I, what I have is a collection of some, maybe not pedestrian, but some questions people have asked. I kind of formulate them a little bit for an easier yeah. way to digest it. But those were probably where you chose some of the cover songs. Because when you guys did cover songs, nowadays people do cover songs. It's like, oh, this version, this version. But you guys owned a cover version. Like, I knew your songs better than other versions, original. See what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's, not a, it's not a dig towards the other artists. It's a compliment paid forward to you because you took what was in you, but it was not just you. It was your love of the song and the artist on Amen. top of it. That's it. That's exactly it, Sean. And we loved it so much that we would have hated to do something less than 
our heart could muster and that our soul could muster. And when Todd Rundgren heard us singing locomotion out in the parking lot, the guys, it was, you know, they were taking a break. I had gone home from uh, across the street to the farm for lunch and I'm coming back and I could hear those guys out in the parking lot, but there's the trees, the forest was preventing mm -hmm. seeing them, but I'm walking down there and I just start singing a beautiful sun's shiny day everybody's doing a brand new dance you know here they come with the backgrounds come on baby do the locomotion <laughs> and todd comes walking out and he says what is that what is that i said what is that that's little eva man that's the locomotion he says well get your ass in here because we're gonna cut the locomotion right now and we had a party because that's the first time that he had been introduced to that song. He really? said, man, he said, that is a party song. I said, yeah, man, let's have a party. And, and Sean, he pushed a red button on the 24 track and he came out into the studio and, and made this song with us. It was Rundgren on all those high falsetto parts. And he, when it came to my guitar lead, he went over to the echoplex and he grabbed the head and he, wow. And so the guitar was going, and they go, and I mean, just, <laughs> it was crazy, wonderful, fun, and people got it. Like, you know, what you said, brother, that it, it you like that version better than the original version, but we paid uh, compliments to it. We were... Yeah. We were, yeah, it, it, we were lifting it up because that's what made us who we are, you know. Well, it sounds like you're celebrating it. That's that's probably the best phrase. Wait a second. It sounds like you're celebrating a song you like, and because you have an an audience that's probably it was more commercially viable at the time, which also works out well for those artists because they get money back from that success, and then they get to perform that song themselves because right. it's more popular. So it, it really works well in some kind of like circle of life thing there. Um, especially if it's an artist doing it properly. Yeah, man. Same thing with Some Kind of Wonderful. John Ellison was the writer of Some Kind of Wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, he was in the Soul Brothers Six. We heard that song on WAMM, on WTRX, WTAC, uh, CKLW. We heard, you know, they were playing this song all the time, and we thought it was a nationwide song, but really it was a regional hit. The... The Soul Brothers Six, who was uh, John Ellison's band, they were out of Philadelphia, and uh, and it wasn't till later on that we learned that I, I learned and I met John, and actually I presented John Ellison his West Virginia Music Hall of Fame award on stage in West Virginia, and I got to sing the second verse when they performed it live. How cool is that? That is. God, yeah, man, pinch me. <laughs> and what a, a marvelous individual he is. Uh, a great father and grandfather and uh, artist. Carries this little tiny guitar around with him, and he plays the shit out of that thing, man. I'm telling you, he, he he's a performer. It's in him. It's who he is. But I, you know, we used to warm up with the song. I didn't know John when we were in the back of the limousine, uh, you know, warming up to tell you some kind of wonderful i don't need a whole lot of money i don't need no big fine car you know i and our manager at the time andy cavalieri he 
pull that window back. He said, what the hell is that? You guys keep singing that song. Uh, and I said, man, that's a soul brother six, some kind of wonderful. He says, you guys need to record that. And, and, uh, Jimmy Einer, uh, who was the producer of that and also produced, uh, bad time to be in love in 1975 yep. on all the world beware album. Uh, he was a producer who could bring out the vocals, which that song really needed, you know, as yeah. far as uh, to communicate the message and the good time. And when that song starts, just the the bass and the drums playing, do -dum, do -dum, do -dum, do -dum, you see the people come out on the dance floor. <laughs> you just see they come out in waves. It's like calling them. And it's a it's a great dance tune, a good party tune. And people love to sing it with us when I don't you know that she is and I point the microphone at the audience it's uh it's loud man some kind of wonderful it's it's great you can't hear it and not smile it's one of those songs and I think your band at the well <laughs> arguably at the time was your band in my eyes was quintessential for that because you guys were known and even the production at the very beginning it was the instruments always stood separately when the harmonies together yeah. And Locomotion and Some Kind of Wonderful are the perfect songs to do with that setup because yeah. the way they break down. And you guys always had decent, like that decent, but like good production to always cut this, them apart. I do want to talk about different producers you had, but that was the perfect song for you. I mean, plus I've, Some Kind of Wonderful has been done a million times, but it always goes back to you because you have a little bit extra in your voice where it's very soulful and you just feel like, I feel like that was the kid hearing it on the radio. That was the young man who was singing yep. along, wanting yep. to be that guy. Yeah. It was real. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, I, that. that's what I told John Ellison when I finally met him, you know, because uh, he was thanking us and thanking me personally. Uh, he said, because, you know, it was only a regional hit until you guys got a hold of it. And he says, and man, when you sing that song, Brother Mark, he says, it, you know, it's a compliment to me. But he says, because it was hard for black music to be played back then. It was hard to get it on the radio yeah, the because crime. There, was, there was some discrimination at the time. I think, you know, there's always been some discrimination to get the, you know, and the powers that be and who owns this and who owns that. And, and that's kind of, uh, you know, the, the reason that radio and television are the way they are nowadays because, uh, the people who had the money after the deregulation of the SEC bought all the radio. I was in Mexico City, Sean, and they said, this is the last interview. I'm on a 100,000-watt station in Mexico City, and the guy tells me, this is the last interview, rock and roll, that we'll do. I'm thinking, why? why? I mean, why? And the guy says, well, we just got bought up by Clear Channel. And I uh, went, oh man, are you kidding me? And the same thing echoed in Tokyo, in Hong Kong. It was all over where I was traveling. Clear Channel was buying up the voice to speak the narrative they want to speak, to play the music that they want to play. And instead of being listener influenced, the local stations are playing a playlist that some dude in New York City is. What, what was the date of that? Like, what year was that? 1996 was the deregulation, brother. 
And since then, it has turned to shit. Radio was so much better when it was the independent-owned uh, stations of families, of moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas who owned the television stations and the radio stations. And there was a moral conscience over what the children were seeing and hearing. And since the takeover in 96, the moral conscience is yeah. gone. I do think, though, in the 80s, Paola, between the record labels and the radio stations, made it right for the picking. It was it was eating on a corpse of yes, of just like, take me, because that's all I want. I mean, if it wasn't doing that, it would have been hard for them to take them over because you could actually stand your ground united. But everybody was about the money. Yep. And at that point, the billboard numbers weren't true because it was like a, you know, a suitcase yeah. of cocaine or something ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, we'll play your channel, we'll play your song. And, yeah. it, and, and it shifted. And luckily sure. now we got the internet and internet radio and it's gone out the window now. Radio and album record labels have kind of shot themselves in the foot now. Yeah, this is good. I mean, because finally the truth, uh, and like your program here, Sean, it, the people are hearing the truth. They're not, uh, you know, have to wonder about what happened. They now yeah. know what happened. And when I say that it was way better when it was the independent and it was uh, the people. I mean, we, when we would do Channel 5 in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Herman Spiro owned the station. It was the Upbeat Show. And uh, and Tommy Baker, who was the band leader for the Upbeat Show, was the, the guy who wrote all of the orchestration for the song Closer to Home. Uh, we would go over to Herman Spiro's house and... His son, David, was running this eight millimeter wind up, you know, eight millimeter yeah. with no sound. But the just the visual was great. And uh, and we'd be playing touch football or tag, you know, uh, where you pull the uh, red flag, flag football. Oh, yeah, whatever. flag football, yeah. And, and having fun, having a, a cookout. Uh, and this is, you know, what made it what it was. It was so good because when we would show up there, you know, James Brown would be there. Or Otis Redding would be there. Uh, Mitch Ryder uh, mm -hmm. and the Detroit Wheels would be there. I mean, other bands uh, of the of that era would be on there with us. And we were all friendly, all friendly, dude. No, uh, no competition. No I think, do you think, without, and this is me looking back from I've learned, and and that's kind of the model the show after is because this, this is not a for-profit show. This is purely motivated that's not about money at all. It's literally about my love of music and a love of getting the information out there. The rate, the DJs had more power because they were larger than the stations. So they controlled the artists and the guests. And it was more sincere because they loved the artists and they loved the music and the radio stations yes. couldn't maneuver it. Then it changed when the DJs worked for them and it could be sold in contracts. Then the DJs become a commodity. Yeah. And then it yeah, changed. Man. And they got sure the, the list in front of them. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I, you know, you could, on the tour bus, you go from state to state to state. It's the same playlist, dude. It's like, I could tell you the next song in rotation. Uh, just sick. Just, uh, you know. So thank God for the internet and so the little bit of freedom that we can experience and uh, for our brothers and sisters who have bands that would have 
never gotten heard, you know, yeah. if it was up to uh, mainstream, we call it lamestream uh, <laughs> radio to play their music. But, uh, you know, we, it's in our heart. Rock and roll is in the heart. And Jack Black was right. Hit Rock and roll is in the face of the man. And the man wants <laughs> exercise control and put restrictions on us and the it's only because of the illusion of the value of money <laughs> you know it's the money well uh, the love of money is the root of all evil that's that's for sure right uh, and and for us guys who do it because the music's in our heart we want to speak it because it's moving our soul. We want to write this song because we want to reach out to people mm -hmm. who feel like us. We want to unite under this this banner of love. Yeah. We, yeah. And and the only thing holding that back are the people who want to control all the shit. But uh, you know that's backfiring on them. And no, and let me. I just. I'm sorry. I'm doing this up on you. I do want to say something though before I forget. In in defense yeah. of, the of an artist, and it's what started this whole show hundreds of episodes back. Is I was at a concert and people were complaining about the price of shirts, and I, people have heard me say it before, and it bothered me because I do have a degree in music, and not I don't do anything now. I just started the show out of out of habit, just because I, I love music. Yeah. But people don't realize the cost for an artist. An, an artist should be able to do music, and still make money. And yeah. have because there's no health insurance, there's no retirement. But when you get a ticket and it's 30, 40, 50, there's insurance, there's a venue, there's money, there's like everything goes out to everybody. The profit is so small for the artist after paying for this. There's insurance, it's thousand dollars a day easy for a bus. Then you got to yeah. pay for the band and this person lights. Then they got union, there's times, and then there's like there's so many things to pay for. If you have shirts, you're dragging them behind the bus and it's even using up gas. How many shirts are how many sizes? How many layers of colors? It's but people don't realize that. And so all right. that cost of a $30 shirt, a $50 ticket, the profit margin is is not that large. It's like working a regular job, but getting older and sleeping on a bus and then trying to make everybody happy and feeling good for sleeping on a bus or a hotel. Yeah, brother. And add on top of that, the, the fee that the venue charges you to sell your merchandise. Yes, you're right. I, I forgot to add that. That's like 30% like I heard. Yeah, it's like a mob. Man, 30, yes, 30%. And I, uh, I've never had my name uh, intentionally. Uh, I've never had it printed on anything but U.S. cotton, uh, United States manufactured here. Because I am a homeboy. I mm -hmm. love the USA. I drive cars made here. My uh, ninth or uh, two thousand eleven um, Yukon was made in Arlington, Texas. And my 2012 Sierra 6.6 uh, .6 Duramax was made in Flint, Michigan. I drive because I'm supporting the workers who work here, my American brothers and sisters. And I know that if I don't support my country, uh, all hell is going to fall down on us. You know, really. But that hasn't been that has not been passed on. I don't know how it got dropped. But uh, when, when I would drive up into the driveway with a new Chevy or Buick uh, and, the, and the neighbor across the road says, hey, thanks, Mark, for keeping me, keeping my job strong because he worked at Buick or Chevrolet, wherever that came from. 
you know, that's the kind of sentiment I was raised with. And to see how, uh, you know, at these shows, how they're charging a 30%, how the hell can they're, they're able to make the money from the ticket sales. And then they want a piece of the action. It used to be, uh, you know, we lived during an era where there was no uh, percentage taken. And then back like in the eighties, they started this taking a percentage and it just, it was 5% and then 10% yeah. and then 50 up to 30%. And sometimes 35% drew, I'm telling you what, it's it's way too much for anybody to even believe, yeah. but we're we're living it. It's a lot, and I, I think you know, and, and bands don't talk about it, so I like to bring it up so the fans are aware when they go in there. It's not really going to the artist, and the artist is really getting hit by it just to keep coming out. And at some point, if everyone keeps not going, the hits too much, and they're not going to see their favorite artist anymore. So it's really just a balancing act of being like, you know what, if I want to see the artist. It's this is how it is. You know, it's it's not any easier for them. They're not getting rich off these profits. This is not them, you know. That's right. That's exactly right. I, and um, yeah, your cost, the price of that shirt, has to be adjusted up so that there, there's no loss involved in having it there for the fans to buy. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? I mean, having to eat that thirty percent, and and then try and make a profit. Dude, you it's it'd be impossible. So I would have my people selling stuff out in the parking lot. Yeah, yeah. Looking out for them, selling the parking lot. So I would be doing <laughs> doing Mexico. They sell more of the bootlegs out there along on the street in the parking lot. There's so many of them. I'm talking there'd be 150 bootleggers out there that the guys inside can't even compete with. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. So that's one of the things I like to talk in the show is go go to the merch, uh, go, go get the merch. From the artist, you know, go to Mark's uh, website. It's great. It's got some videos on there. Got dates for his concerts coming up. Buy his merch off the site. Yeah. Um. And actually, while we're on that, and we'll go back. I want to talk to some producers afterwards. But while we're on that thing, uh, you actually have some two solo videos. You got more, but two of your solo videos. Two twenty. You did the the rock and soul music one, and then my personal favorite is when we you first time you came on was never and always, which is a beautiful song. Um. Your vocals on that, I mean, you're a great guitar player, but your vocals on that are absolutely beautiful. And they're absolutely a little bit different than what you normally have known for, which is fun. Yeah, it's uh, that's that part of me that goes back and listens to, you know, the R&B, the soulfulness uh, and the believability of that song because when i uh cut when i go into the overdub room and i'm this far away from the microphone i got my eyes closed sean and i i'm holding on to the headphones and i'm getting the right amount of hearing my voice in the in the uh cups of the headphone but i i bleed it back just a little bit and let my ear be exposed to to the resonance in the room and I find that sweet spot and I imagine the character that I'm portraying mm -hmm. with my, with my lyrics, with the, my presentation of the lyrics, my performance, because if you don't put that much into it, 
What are you going to get out of it? Seriously, people can hear that, uh, the emotion, as you've just said, you know, it's not typical to what, you know, I'm known for, but, but it is believable because I became the character when I sang it. It's beautiful. It really is. Um, I was able to check it out. It's, it's, it's nice because it balances on the, the power ballad you'd hear in the late 80s, 90s, but it's got the soulfulness of the 70s. So it doesn't feel like it gets cheesy. It just feels just beautiful, you know, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice balance. I do have um, two, two questions on, on how did you end up having Todd Rundgren as a producer? And then I want to ask about, I want to end on actually working with Frank Zappa. Those are two interesting things that I, I always wanted to worry about. What a great combination of of you and those guys. If you could just touch on each of those for a minute, like Todd first. Well, with Todd, you know, um, we had a hat. We had a bunch of producers' names in the hat. You know, write them down on a little piece of paper, fold them up, and uh, reach in and pull one out. It just happened to be Todd Rundgren. We had some great producers in there that we were going to approach. We hadn't talked to any of them. This was just like, okay, we're going to do this and then see if they'll do it. Whoever yeah. it whoever we yeah, it's, a, it's a dream it's a dream list. Yes. Exactly. So when it was Todd Rundgren, well, Lynn Goldsmith, who was our publicist, but she was more of a like a co-manager, her idea. So she came up with all those album covers um for in the from the 70s. Uh, um, well in all of the seventies, except for like 71. Uh, She was like from Phoenix on uh, all the album covers, but she said, uh, you know, Todd is a friend of mine and I can, you know, I'll approach him and see if, if he wants to, you know, give a listen to you guys and what have you. So we already had uh our foot in the door with Lynn Goldsmith, because she'd already worked with Todd on some other projects, you know, some filming and what have you. And then when he agreed to come out and uh, hear the band, we had sent him a tape. And then when he heard the band and he heard us live and he got with us, uh, he was sold on, on doing it. And he knew it was going to be a good record. And with Zappa, same way reach in, pull out. Oh, Frank Zappa. Oh man. You think he'd do it? <laughs> you know, what great production on those albums, but I mean, and Frank Zappa, what a great album too. It's very, it's very cleanly produced. Yes. I, and it was his idea for the title for that. Good singing, good playing. He says, let's just call it what it is. Good singing, good playing. And when Zappa came out to Michigan and he walked into the swamp. This we lovingly call our studio right. the swamp. We had to we built it way back in on the end of the property where we had to dig a pond in order to get a perk test to put the building in. Uh, he walks in and and Craig Craig Frost has was backed up to Don Brewer in the hallway and he farted on his leg. It was a thing that he did, you know just goofing around and, and Zappa walks in Why this is going on. He says, okay, I'm in it. I, I <laughs> see all I need to see. I'm here. Let's get this thing rolling. <laughs> he says, I've, I've got enough evidence right there. I want to be involved, you know? 
it that was great. I'm sure. I'm sure the, the love of vocals. He was a great lover of good harmonies and doo wop yeah. type vocals. And you guys must have been like perfect for him to come in to do that. You know. Yeah, he it really makes sense on yeah, paper he, to me. He loved it, and he was going to have me sing on his next album, uh, but he checked out and went on into heaven before that could happen. Uh, but man. Uh, for him to just ask me if I wanted to sing, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? In a minute. I, I love that you even think that much of me, that you want me to sing. And it's uh, it was the song was bamboozled by, by love. love. Of. Yeah. Oh, he wanted you to sing on that one? Yes. Oh. Oh, Lord, the shit done hit the fan. <laughs> You may need to do that as a cover. You may need to put that out there, do something. It'd be fun. Yeah. A little yeah. tribute type of thing. Yeah, that's yeah, a good idea. That's a good idea, Sean. A lot of Zappa fans, a lot of Mark Carter fans might be kind of a fun combo to, for us to hear them yeah. together. You know? Oh, yeah. And my band, because late. I'm, sure you, could, I'm sure you could do it. And that's actually a perfect thing to say. So, people, Mark's on the road, February. Check them out. Got a couple yeah. dates already up on there. Uh, New York, I think, uh, I don't know. You, I got the worst memory. You, you probably know better than I do. No, I don't. <laughs> All right. People, go to his website. The link will be underneath the show. We're too old to remember stuff. Just go and click on it. It has the dates, That's right. the tickets. Everything's there for you. You know, it's the blessings of the internet. Mark, I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a thank fun you. as always. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate your heart. And uh, uh, appreciate the people that listen to you, that watch. And that we'll get something out of this. Uh, God bless y'all. You know, the, it seems like people around us, our, the pressure, the darkness that wants to uh, harness us uh, and, and put a bridle on us, uh, that that's all, you know, encroaching. But we are the only ones that can set ourselves free from it. There's all kinds of not only monetary debt, but the debt of unfulfilled expectations of other people, the debt of regret that we hold against ourselves, And, but we got to get rid of all that shit so that the rock can roll. And so that the love can pour out so much that it overcomes this darkness that's trying to suppress us and we'll kick its ass by loving it. Couldn't say it better. Well, thank you. And, We'll chat again. Thank you. All right, Sean. God bless. <laughs>